I am a counter. I, you might see me buzzing around the back about 25 past 11 every week. I count the number of people who are in Hope Church, and I've done so for two and a half years. And I plot a graph. And one of the great things about this is you can see the church growing in real time. So it's very exciting for me. Every Sunday at about quarter past two, I log on to my computer, put it in my Excel chart, and ooh, it's, it's very, very exciting. But because of that, I can see um, how, how we're growing. But there, that might mean that there are people who I haven't met or don't know very well. If that is the case, please help me to overcome this oversight and introduce yourself afterwards. Um, my name is Alan P. Harrison, and I am a Bible teacher. I also lead a small group with my beautiful wife, Sarah, and Simon Parnham, also beautiful, and the Moorcrofts, also beautiful. Um, and we, by which I mean me and Sarah, not Simon and the Moorcrofts, became parents of Desmond two months ago. Um, he's the uh, small version of me who cries. Um, yes, uh, so because I've just become a father, actually, not because I've just become a father, before Christmas, Andy said to me, will you talk about sonship? We didn't know if we were having a boy or a girl, but now we have had a boy. So I'm still talking about sonship, but that's it. so this is something I've been thinking about quite a lot, as you can understand, many, many hours. And since becoming a father, I really feel like I've learned over again what it means for God to love us and for Jesus to instruct us to call God Father. That has that's totally changed in my head in the last couple of months. So, and sometimes this word can so easily just trip off our tongue. The Father God, we pray for that. Um, but, and, well, I, perhaps not yourself, but I can certainly forget the magnitude that that has. Um, I, I'm an RE teacher up in Dumbarton, and I teach in various different religions. And Christianity is the only religion, certainly the only major world religion, that dares approach God as Father. And so we're going to be thinking about that when Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, that's much better, um, he, was, he was teaching them some new things because largely these guys had no idea about the things that were coming and other things like how to write. Um, these were nobodies from nowhere, uh, from, the, the, from the backwater, from Galilee, to the point where somebody said, can anything good come from Galilee? The obvious answer was, no, of course not. Don't be so silly. Can I be turned down a little bit? I'm hearing myself and... If I say I don't like hearing myself, you'll all switch off. Um, that's better. Thank you. So, he instructs this group of illiterate nobodies from the back end of nowhere to address the God of the universe as Father. Not as king or as judge or as creator or as master, all of which are true, but as Father. It's, that's not reducing God's role as creator or redeemer or uh, sustainer, but it's how you approach him is as Father. And this, this had never been done on an individual basis before. There was times in the history of Israel where um, God is described as the father of Israel, but it was always in the context of a nation, a couple of million people, never as a sort of individual, uh, this is my father, as it was always, this is our father. Um, and this word is powerful. When Mahatma Gandhi, real name Mohandas Gandhi, in case you know, um, in his, because of his efforts to free India from British rule, he was dubbed the father of the nation. And to this day, on every single banknote in India, Gandhi's father, Gandhi's picture rather, appears. Um, he is the father of the nation. He is honored in that way. And as I said, this phrase has taken on a whole new meaning for me personally since I've become a dad myself. And in fact, I was saying to, I was saying to Johnny, Johnny Dreads, not Johnny Dreads, Johnny No Dreads, um, 
I was saying to Johnny a couple of weeks ago that I feel like I had no idea, not a clue about God's love for us before I became a dad. It's sort of, it's come to light in a whole new way. Um, so this morning we're going to look at the biblical idea of us being sons of God. But before that, let's pray, because praying is good. So, uh, yeah, Lord, we thank you that we can call you Father, that this isn't just an option, this was an instruction. We are given the right to call you Father, Lord. Thank you, God, for your word that it is our daily bread, that we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. God, I pray for Andy as he preaches uh, down in Kent. I pray for my dad, who's uh, speaking this afternoon in Newcastle, and for every person who's preaching in Glasgow, every church that's meeting, Lord. We want this city for you, but we can't do it by ourselves, God. I pray that every church in Glasgow, every person who's speaking, leading worship, ministering, being in the, being at a meeting, being a part of a church family will be radically blessed, Lord, that you would blow them away in a new way. Thank you, God, that you love us and you love our city. Amen. Okay, so for those who like titles, as I do, today's sermon is entitled, God and Sons, Family Recycling Business. Why will become apparent in, as I go on, turn with me, if you would, to the book of Matthew. If you have a Bible, that will help. If you don't have a Bible, I have provided for such an inevitability. Matthew 3, verses 16 and 17. So, Matthew was one of Jesus' disciples, and he wrote a marvelous book which functions as a hinge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. You've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, or Gospels, or biographies of Jesus, but Matthew's put first because he peppers his biography of Jesus with Old Testament references. So you, you read through all the Old Testament, you think, oh, brilliant, and then you get into the New Testament eased in with some lovely Old Testament references. It's very quite, like, um, quite nice of him, and you'll understand why I like him for that. So, Matthew 3, 16 and 17. When Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. So, what does this tell us? Here we have Jesus right at the beginning of his ministry. Just after this happens, after this event, Jesus is driven into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit for 40 days and is tempted by Satan. That's a long time to be tempted. Um, and then he retur- after this temptation, he returns from uh, the wilderness in the power of the Spirit and begins his ministry and starts doing miracles and healings and teachings and stuff like this. Other than his birth, we know of only one event in Jesus' life before this point. Uh, which is when he was 12, his parents went to uh, Jerusalem for uh, a festival, and they leave him behind. And being Dez's dad has given me new insight into what this must have been, the, the blind panic that must have set in as they, they're walking back to, um, to Nazareth, and uh, Mary and Joseph look at each other and say, is Jesus with you? No, 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 is he with you? Is he with, is he with Sally? Is he with Jeremy? Oh, dear. Oh, we've lost the son of God. Oh, he's going to be mad. Oh, man. Um, it must have been a little bit stressful. Um, but, and they find him in the temple discussing theology with the scribes. And the scribes are going, whoa, this kid's really something different. They were right. This is the only thing we know about his childhood and teenagers and his 20s, actually. And this is probably because there was nothing really spectacular about them. He was, um, his adopted father, Joseph, was a carpenter. He would have spent his time making tables, chairs cups, plates, um, working an honest job. Um, he would have been 
stacked, Dougal Dean stacked, um, <laughs> because he, he's a, working a, a physical job. Um, so we read about Jesus being baptized by his second cousin, the hair-wearing, insect-eating, honey-drinking, teetotal prophet John the Baptist. Probably not difficult to identify him at a party. <laughs> thanks, thanks for coming, John. You've brought a bag of cockroaches. Thank you. Just sit over there. Um, yeah, so he's baptized by John the Baptist, John the Baptizer. Um, he wasn't a Baptist. He was a baptizer. Anyway. Um, and so he's baptized by John the Baptizer in uh, the river. And the first thing that we notice about this passage is that immediately stuff happens. If you read the Gospel of Luke, the word immediately is used like 200 times or something. It, it's very, very punchy. Um, so, but this is Matthew using the same word. Immediately stuff begins to happen. Baptism, as we're having in two weeks' time, three weeks' time, a couple of weeks' time, three, thank you, said the voice. Um, baptism is a symbolic washing away of sins. But if Jesus was sinless, why did he get baptized? Hmm. Notice the beard, my attempt to be more like Jesus. Um, I've totally forgotten about that till I struck my chin. This is what Matthew refers to as fulfilling all righteousness. Uh, Jesus didn't need to have any sins washed away. He didn't have any sins to be washed away. But in order to set us an example for how he wants us to live, before uh, he is baptized and before immediately the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove and, notice, rests on him, coming to rest on him. This is significant because in the history of the people of God in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit had only ever filled someone for a brief time, uh, for a time or a season, and then... Um, that, had, that had ceased. Um, the Bible occasionally records that the Holy Spirit rushes upon someone, which I really like. It's like, come on, quick, 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 quick. There we go. Um, sort of rushing upon someone. And, um, and them doing, like, for example, uh, Samson, uh, the strong guy. Again, Dougal Deans. Um, Samson, blinded, haircut, all went wrong. Um, but this is different because the Holy Spirit descends on and rests on Jesus. So here, Jesus is setting the precedent for believers of him in the future. Repent. That wasn't particular. Uh, so, or rather, repent and be washed of your sin. So he, Jesus, is, um, Jesus is baptized. Receive the Holy Spirit and then go and do something. It, it has to be in that order. Um, but not until he receives a special message from his Father in heaven. This is uh, similar to Jesus' instructions to the disciples after the resurrection. Stay in the city and wait. Um, and we can often be so preoccupied with doing something. We've been so busy doing something for God or for ourselves or whatever that we can forget to wait for God. Um, my, my wife's uh, aunt is a Quaker, and we, uh, we have a family reunion down in Bristol every, every year, and I went to a Quaker meeting once because I figured, I'm not in Glasgow. I can't go to Hope Church. I'll do something different. This is quite different um, in that it was silent. It was like the antithesis of Hope Church. Um, there was no preaching. There was no worship. And there was no noise. Um, it was completely the opposite of Hope Church. And as a service in itself, I'm not convinced that that leads people into, um, into where they need to be with God. But if that was a part, um, a part of our worship, just sitting and waiting, sitting in silence for an hour, I'm thinking, I don't know any of these people. I'm, if I got my phone out, that would be quite obvious. I'll pray. You just, like, you're basically forced to pray for an hour. It was wonderful. It was really, really nice. Question to consider. Do you need to spend more time waiting for God to tell you to do something? Maybe yes, maybe no. Don't put your hands up. Think about it. Jesus waited until he 
received a message from his father, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Now, if you think, if you think, if you think, there we go, keep saying the word think. If you think, <laughs> can I have the handheld? Hello, there we go. Okay, um, so if we think over the life of Jesus, uh, the ministry of Jesus, we can understand why God would be very proud of his son. Life-changing miracles, uh, world-changing teaching, covenant-changing sacrifice, and eternity-changing resurrection. He was a high achiever by, by, any, state, by any measurement. Um, not bad for somebody who never wrote a book, never owned a house, never ran for political office, never traveled more than a few hundred miles from where he was born. You really have to ask yourself, why is one-third of the planet, 2.25 billion people, why are they following Jesus if he was just a nice guy or just a good teacher? There's something more going on. If he isn't the son of God, if he wasn't the son of God, then he's largely an egomaniac who needs to be ignored. You can't have the teaching without the miracles because they're in the same passage. Um, Anyway, Jesus has a pretty impressive CV, but we cannot ascribe God saying, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased, to anything Jesus had done, because at this point, he hadn't done anything yet. Like, n- nothing, of any, like, nothing of any spiritual, divine, approval-winning significance. Like, he'd be making tables, chairs, good stuff. But does that give him the qualities of the Son of God? No, he already had those qualities. He is the Son of God. Being a carpenter is a fine skill, but it doesn't quite cut. <laughs> Down boy. <laughs> I'm remembering that last year, on the day the clocks went forward, I preached as well. What's going on? <laughs> it's a conspiracy. Um, so, no, God's approval of Jesus has nothing to do with anything that he had done, but was by virtue of who he was to him. He, he's his son, he's his boy, he's his heir, he's the apple of his eye. And I've had a glimpse of this uh, in the last two months with Des. A few weeks ago at FSS, the course Foundations for Supernatural Significance, come along, it's very good, um, and he quoted my Facebook status, which it's nice that we've got to that sort of point in technology where you can quote someone's Facebook status and nobody thinks it's weird. Um, but he quoted my Facebook status which says, I'd put up, my love for my son isn't based on anything he'd done. How could it be? But rather on who he is to me. He is my son and I am his father. Now I've quoted myself in my own sermon. <laughs> is, is that pride? Let's hope not. But what I meant by that was that Des has done nothing like, literally, he's done absolutely nothing to warrant any sort of approval. He, when he was born, he had three skills. Crying, eating, and processing that food. And he's very good at all three of them. Um, if I'd waited until he could ride a bike, or drive a car, or um, write an epic poem, or run for, I don't know, president or something. Don't know why he would have a president. But, you know, do something monumental, then he'd still be waiting on my love. 
Um, but of course, that's not the way it goes. Of course, that shouldn't be the way it goes. My love for him is based solely and exclusively that he is my boy and I am his father. It's the relationship that g gets him the approval. Um, so here we have Jesus at his baptism. Jesus receives the approval of the father outside of anything he's done. Okay? I'm sure he's been very nice. He's been very sinless. That will be, a, a that will be attractive to people. But that's not the basis on why he is getting his approval. It's based on the relationship. This is because Jesus is loved on the basis of a relationship with the Father and not because of his works. And remember what I said about why Jesus was baptized. He's setting a precedent for his followers, us, to follow. Um, so it goes like this. Repent, if necessary, and be baptized. Receive the Holy Spirit. Know that you are a son of God, loved and approved, and then go and do, some, go and do something about it. Uh, if you, too often I want to mix up that order. I'll do something, and then I'll get the Holy Spirit, and then I'll repent if I need to, and I might get baptized somewhere along the line, and then God will say, you are my beloved son. No, it's the other way around. We always want, I always want to invert things on the head, or rather, God's kingdom is not the way I would expect it to be. It's a good job I'm not God, really, isn't it? For many, many reasons. Um... It turns it on its head. It rearranges our priorities. If Jesus is the forerunner for the Christian, which he is, then it makes sense to put them in this order. Like for us to put them in this order, to sort of follow his example. He's a good example to follow. And I believe that whatever God has called us to do will be, mo like, I know what God has called me to do. God will have called each one of us to do something, to be someone to something, to pioneer something. He's put massive plans on all of us. Um, but whatever that is, it'll be more effective in that order. Repent, receive, know you're a son of God, and then go and do something. Uh, then if we try and sort of convince God to give us his approval. So, come to Christ, receive the Spirit, who is the Spirit of adoption, Romans 8 tells us, and enables us to legitimately cry, Abba, Father, to the God of the universe, who overwhelms us with his love. And once that's your experience, go and do something with it. Now, I have preempted that people will have some questions about what I've just said. If you have no questions, okay. Um, but I'm going to attempt to answer some of them just now. If I don't address your question and you have it, approach me afterwards with some cake, and then we can talk. No cake, no chat. <laughs> <laughs> I'm charging for my services with lovely cake. Okay, some of you might be thinking, he's talking about being a son. Great, I'm not a bloke. I am not a male, I am in fact a lady. Um, Good point. I've noticed that some of you are, in fact, ladies. <laughs> I am talking about being a son of God, but in the Bible, talking about somebody being a son of God through Jesus' death and resurrection doesn't mean that you have to be a male. I refer to Galatians, 6, uh, Galatians 3, uh, verses 26 to 29, which is the Apostle Paul writing to a group of churches in Galatia, which is in modern Turkey, and he says this, For in Christ Jesus you are all, that's my emphasis, sons of God through faith. For as many of you who were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, so racial lines don't matter. There is neither slave nor free, it doesn't matter about your employment. Uh, there is no male and female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Now, this is a letter written to several churches. Some of the letters we have in the New Testament are to the church in Corinth. There is one. This is to the churches that are in Galatia. Galatia is a region what are the odds of there being one woman in any of these churches? Just one. One woman. It would seem ridiculous to suggest that there would, wouldn't be one single Christian woman in, the whole, in all of Turkey. 
It just it doesn't stack up. Yet Paul writes, you are all sons of God. Um, this is a legal term. Uh, because sons would, in that culture, sons would in- receive an inheritance, whereas daughters usually wouldn't. I'm not saying that's right. That's just the culture that, was, uh, that it was in. As far as inheritance is concerned, Paul doesn't factor gender into it at all, um, into whether or not you'll get it. In God's family, everyone is a son because everyone stands in Christ, um, who is the firstborn son and sole beneficiary of God's promises. If you're a lady and you're thinking, I don't really like the idea of being a son of God, um, the counter approach, which I remember Phil Ford saying once, is that we are the bride of Christ. Imagine me in a wonderful white dress. <laughs> and you can, I can kind of understand your, uh, your difficulty with that statement, <laughs> and you're falling backwards off your chair. Um, yeah, so we are all sons of God in that we all receive an inheritance. It doesn't matter. It's not based on your gender or on your race or on your profession or how high you've climbed in the company that you're in or whatever. Um, we are in Christ, and Christ is the Son of God. Now, you may also be thinking, uh, what's the word? Preconceived objection number two. Well, that's all very well and good for Jesus, but I'm not Jesus. True. <laughs> if you were, you'd be getting a lot more attention here this morning. <laughs> Just a wee bit. Um, and while it's true that all people are made in God's image, and if you're a believer, then the Holy Spirit is living inside you, and you are a son, we are fundamentally different from the Son of God. Um, so let's have a wee look at how we're different from Christ before going into how we are similar to Christ. Let's have a look at Colossians 1. Thank you, my glorious assistant, Gloria. <laughs> he, not Simon, Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, uh, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from, firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Amen. We could spend a year preaching through that one passage, those seven verses. It'll be a fun year. Um, that's a profoundly theological passage. I am different from Christ in that I did not create all things. Uh, in fact, I've created very few things. I have a prototype idea for um, an umbrella used to take... <laughs> Sarah's laughing. Um, I have a prototype idea for an umbrella used to take wedding pictures in the rain. Because uh, Phil, could you stand up for us? Let's imagine Phil is the bride of Christ, beautiful and blushing. If John were to take a photo and it was raining, I'd have to hold an umbrella here. Oh no, there's an arm in the picture. What are we going to do? My idea is to have the umbrella canopy on a stalk, so I hold it here. <laughs> so you could take it through the raid, it would look all artistic. Dragon's Den, watch out. Thank you, Phil. <laughs> also, the Christmas dinner pizza. <laughs> Such mixed reactions. <laughs> In reality, I've created very little. Um, even great inventors like Leonardo da Vinci, Thomas Edison, who created a lot of stuff, um, they fall short of being able to claim that they created all things. All things were created in him and through him, Mr. Leonardo. No, I'm afraid not. Your helicopter prototype might be very clever, but it's made of things that have already been created. Colossians also says that in him all things hold together. I can't claim to do that either. All things, 
That's a lot of stuff. If you read um, uh, Stephen Hawking's A Brief History of Time, he talks about the scale of the universe, that, that our universe, our galaxy is one of another 100 million galaxies, and that gal- that. I don't even know the words. That is made up. That makes up one of another hundred million. That's a billion, billion things by page two. Billion, billion. The other day, I got on the I got on the train after work, and I realised I forgot my bag. I, I just I was holding my umbrella, and I was like, oh goodness, I am tired, aren't I? Um, no, I would not be very good at holding all things together. <laughs> don't trust me to hold all things together. Goodness me. Um, Neither was I preeminent, and before all things, I had a finite start. And by the way, this applies to all of you as well. It's not just me. None of us is uh, holding all things together. None of us is preeminent before all things. In fact, Colossians 2 verse 9 says, The fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Christ. Now, while the believer has the Holy Spirit, who is fully God, living inside him, Having the fullness of God dwell inside you is different because Christ is, next slide, first one, Christ is God plus flesh plus spirit, whereas we are flesh plus spirit. There's a difference. And if that doesn't whet your appetite for this summer's doctrine course about the Trinity, I don't know what will. July. Either way, the Gospel of John opens with the words, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word is Jesus, and He is God. Uh, we, we do have something of the, divi- of the divine nature, but we are not God. We are not a God because we are limited. I cannot create a universe right here, right now. Really, don't, don't test me. But there is good news because while we are not gods, we have been made similar to Christ in several ways, not least in our status as sons. Something that we need to remember that while this might be new territory for some of us, this isn't something that I'm making up or that we as Hope Church are making up or that some trendy Bible teacher wearing a suit has made up. No, this, is, this goes right to the heart of Christianity. It's in the Bible. You can't go more to the heart of Christianity than being in the Bible. Um, there is an undeniable right of anyone who calls Jesus their Savior to be a son of God. And before you recall it, the word right, I would point it to John chapter 1, verse 12, which says, but to all who did receive him, to all who, were, uh, who became Christians, who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. It's not an option. It's not a, you can have it if you really want, but you must try. Try and try and you'll succeed at last. No, it's not, it's not, it's not, a, um, it's not an a- optional extra that they've stuck on. This is an undeniable right. This is a right we've been given. And why were we given it? Because, well, was it because we're worth it? As Cheryl Cole says, come on, girls, because we're worth it. <laughs> uh, as I mentioned, I'm an RE teacher, and one of, my kids, one of the kids I teach the other day said, so you sound like Cheryl Cole. Get out. <laughs> No, nothing that I or you, you listen for my accent now, aren't you? <laughs> nothing that I or you could ever do could warrant us being declared equal to Christ in the sight of God. No, no, this is a gift. It's a good gift. It's better than a blockbuster video voucher. Much better. John says so in his gospel and also in one of his letters where he says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And then finishes it with this, and so we are. It's not just an idea. It's, it's a status. It's a standing. This, it's not just a gift. It's a loving gift. You know, you, sometimes you get a gift and you think, wonderful, a jumper with a reindeer on it. I'll wear it all year. Cupboard. 
No, it's a, not just a gift, it's a loving gift. We are loved as much by God as God loves Jesus, which is a lot. It's like, did you ever see those, um, one of those cartoons? I, when I think back on my childhood, I'm not sure what's a lot of cartoons. Like, imagine a particular cartoon. I think it was Chippendale Rescue Rangers. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Yes. <laughs> Wonderful. If ever, ever there was going to be crime-solving rodents, it w- they would have to have a blimp made out of a balloon. It would be wonderful. Yes. Um, sometimes the characters would need to get into an official building or something. And so, and they're usually some sort of forest creatures, always wearing t-shirts and never trousers. Why is that? If you're going to wear clothes, go the whole way. Um, but so what they'd do, they'd have to get into this building, and they'd get an oversized trench coat. And they would stand on each other's shoulders and sort of waddle past the inept guard. Now, ironically, if you're trying to get into a government building without arouse, trying to arouse suspicion as to your intentions, the last thing you'd want to do is to wear a large trench coat and have difficulty keeping your balance. That's not the way to get through seamlessly. But so it's like they, they clothe themselves in something and get through, and suddenly they're in the president's office causing mayhem. But if we translate that into what we're talking about, in a less sort of comic, animated way. This is the basis on which we have the rights as sons of God, because we are wrapped in the real deal. Um, I spoke last year about uh, being clothed in Christ. We are clothed in Christ. If you call Jesus your first love, you are in Christ, says Paul in Romans 8, 1 Corinthians 1, Ephesians 2, and so on. It's scattered throughout the whole New Testament. And as such, you get all of Jesus' righteousness imparted to you. Here you go. There you go. God now sees you as Christ. Now, I've spoken about this a couple of times. It's not like, oh, oh, we've got one over on God. He didn't see that one coming. All seeing, apart from this. No, it's his idea. <laughs> yeah. um, I, can, I know all things and see all things, but I don't know what's going on over here until I look. Oh, my goodness. No, it's, a, it's God's idea. It was God's idea to send his son so that he could bring many sons to glory. Um, he came to give us a new perspective uh, because the perspective we had before Jesus came, or before we were Christians, was incorrect. Uh, we had, um, C.S. Lewis said, if you don't like theology, it's not that you'll have no ideas about God, but you'll have wrong ideas about God. If we, this is why we do teaching. It's because it, nobody thinks, hmm, well, that's, a, that's an absolute statement. There's no such thing as an absolute statement apart from this. Um, if, we, if we don't read the Bible, if we don't listen to teaching, then um, you will have ideas about God, but they might not be the right ideas. They might not be the ideas that God has revealed about himself. Um, Jesus came to give us a new perspective on God, which um, that we had before. He says to the disciples in Luke twenty two twenty, this is a new covenant in my blood. It's a, new, it's a new thing. Because they knew the old covenant. There was an old covenant. It had been there for thousands of years. Um, and it revealed God as mighty and powerful and just, but to some degree at arm's length, where you could be a son of God in a corporate sense, in a, I am a member of this nation, therefore I am, but kind of lacking in intimacy for the majority of people. Jesus changes the game completely. He totally turns it on his head. He gives freely, he loves entirely, and he blesses richly. Because Christianity isn't so much a religion as it is a relationship. Um, In the broad sense, it is a religion because it's a a set of beliefs that results in a set of actions. But that includes a whole bunch of other stuff as well. It's primarily a relationship. It's not just about getting your sins forgiven so that you can go to heaven one day in the future. Hallelujah. That's great. Let's not underestimate that. That's step one. And so often when we think about the amazing work that Christ did on the cross, we 
sell it vastly short. We, it, we're not just quits with God. It, it's not like sort of, right, you've owed me 20 quid, you've paid your debt, on you go. No, no, no. It's, Christ didn't just die to pay my debt and let me go on my own way, because if he did just forgive my sins and I was square with God and I had no sins, but I wasn't in relationship with God, how long would I last before I committed another sin? An hour? Maybe? I'm going to drive home. Jesus didn't drive, which is one of the reasons he was sinless. You cannot drive and be sinless. I'm utterly convinced of this. How, if you were just square with God, how long would you last before you committed another sin? An hour? A day? A week? God bless you. At some point, there would need to be something done again. Rather, what he was doing on the cross, he was paying my debt. He was paying the debt for my sin, but he was also paving the way for me to be a son of God. Because that's how, because if I sinned tomorrow, that doesn't remove my status as a son of God. It harms my relationship with God, but it doesn't harm his relationship with me. That's why I rep- I'm going to talk about this a bit more in a moment. Um, he wipes the slate clean. Every wrong action, every wrong thought, every, um, everything I should have done but didn't, every uh, wrong motive, they're all done with. They're, they're all being uh, paid for and settled. The slate is clean. But then with this clean slate, he paints something new. He creates something new. I am a new creation. So are you. I am a new creation. And, I mean, think of it this way. God is green. Watching your faces. God is green in that he's into recycling. Recycling is taking old things and making them into new things. Yeah, I've taken this tire and I've made a pencil case. Sarah, when me and Sarah met in school, and when she was, um, she was in school, she had a pencil case, and on it it said, I used to be a tire. I thought, oh, that's nice. You've been melted down and formed into something else. Um, but recycling is taking old things and making them into new things. We, uh, what am I saying? So, if you're a Christian, you were an old thing. That's not to do with age. You were an old thing. You were um, the old man, the person of the flesh. Um, but you have been made into a new creation. And if you don't call Jesus your first love, or if you're not sure, then this isn't just like the door's shut, sorry, everyone else is out. No, no, it's an invitation. That can be a new, better you. You 2.0. Upgrade. Okay, not so many tech heads in. Sharpie got it. Um, but, so, there's a, a slate wiped clean and something new is put in its place. Something resembling Christ. We are being conformed to the likeness of God's Son. Galatians 4.4 was the first Bible, not yet, was the first Bible verse I ever learned. And I was taught it by my Sunday school teacher aged five. If you teach Sunday school, you are sowing seeds and it works. Believe me, it works. Um, Galatians 4.4 says this. <laughs> Thank you, Barney. Um, for when, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent his fourth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent his spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Now, we've talked about this phrase, Abba, um, before here at Hope Church. And while Jesus would have astonished the disciples by saying, okay, you can call God, you know, God of the universe, you can call him Father. Um, Can you imagine the scandal when the Galatians receive this letter from Paul and he tells them to address God as Daddy? They must have thought he was off his nut. 
Who, who wrote this? Who's forging Paul's signature? No, how irreverent, how disrespectful, how dare he? But there it is, right in Holy Scripture. God equals daddy. And if you think that Christianity is about giving up your rights, that's a lie, that is wrong, that is incorrect. Rather, because that's slave mentality. Rather, we are, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are given something, you are given an inheritance, you are an heir. When I die, Desmond and any future Harrisons will inherit everything I own. At the moment, a broken down car, a very nice house and a lot of books. Um, so you, if you're a son, you're an heir. And it says, what is it? Um, so yeah, you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if you're a son, then you're an heir. So if you're no longer a slave, you're an heir. So, and that word has lost all meaning. has an H at the beginning. In, in this inheritance that God gives you, that's the spirit of God dwelling in you, as promised to Abraham. Um, and it, that spirit is d- crying out with our spirit that we are children of God, says Romans 8. A change takes place. We've been transferred from one kingdom, kingdom of darkness, to another kingdom, kingdom of God's beloved son. Uh, so Colossians 1 tells us. And that is the crux of the Christian message. You can't cut it by yourself. You just can't. Very sorry. You cannot do it by yourself. You need somebody else to do it for you. And somebody has done it for you. This isn't looking forward to maybe one day my prince will come kind of thing. No, some, somebody has done it on our behalf. And that someone is the very son of God. And Jesus is able to make you and I sons of God because he is the eternal sons of God. He has the right to do that. He has the right to give us the right to be a son of God. The most famous verse in the Bible tells us that uh, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God's son, the son of God, who father and son, who had enjoyed fellowship with each other from eternity past, the son who was his pride and joy, sent him on a rescue mission. You ever seen Finding Nemo? Yes, brilliant film. Um, It doesn't quite match up because in Finding Nemo, the father goes on the rescue mission, whereas in Christianity, the son goes on the rescue mission. But the father crosses the ocean in order to find a son who has got himself into a lot of trouble. He's stuck in a dentist's. Um, (laughs) He's stuck in the dentist's fish tank. Um... And he can't get himself out of the fish tank. He just can't. And he doesn't care. The father doesn't see the obstacles. He doesn't see the sharks. He doesn't see the turtles. He doesn't see the currents. He doesn't see the vastness of the ocean. He doesn't see the fact that he's a tiny, tiny fish about this big. Um, He sees that his son needs rescuing, and he goes and does it. And so it is with us. The Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. God loves Jesus because Jesus is his son. What I'm saying this morning is that if If you are a Christian here today, you are loved because you are a son of God. It's irrespective of anything you've done, either good or bad. You can't do good things to to increase your status as a son. You are a son or you're not. You can't do bad things to remove yourself from it. I'm making a theological statement there. Talk to me about it afterwards. Um, You are loved. You are a son because God says you're a son, because he has paved the way for that. He is... You are loved as much as God loves Jesus. Can you honestly say that today God's loved Jesus less than he did yesterday before you committed that sin? No, it would be silly to say that. Um, We don't have time to read all of um, Hebrews 1 and 2, but the first two chapters of Hebrews, if you read Hebrews, it's just wonderful. It's it's the Old Testament in mini. Um, 
The first two chapters of Hebrews are all about how much God loves Jesus, saying things like these, one at a time. So Hebrews says things like, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. God says, you are my son, today I have begotten you. I will be to him a father and he will be to me a son. Let all God's angels worship him. But of the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. Sit in my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. I think that's, yeah. So, this is gushing language. This is God absolutely saying, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. Christ is the apple of God's eye. And we are sons, we are sons because of who Christ is and what he's done for us on the cross. This language of father and son has um, clearly become... I've been thinking about it more recently. Um, if you don't know, I've mentioned it a few times. Sarah and I had a beautiful baby boy, very handsome, looks like me. And at certain points when preparing the sermon, I started thinking, should I just hold him for 40 minutes and say, look, sonship, you just stay there. And just hold him for 45 minutes or something. I ultimately decided against that. Um, but that's what I'm talking about. It's that connection between father and son, that relationship, um, that it's so precious. It's so powerful. I'm talking about how much you're loved by your heavenly daddy, the Lord God Almighty. I love my son more than I can say. Um, and I have a new appreciation of what it means to be a son of God because of that. Uh, and in a small way, I've sort of freshly appreciated how much God loves me. And there was nothing, nothing I wouldn't do for my boy. So the thought of sending him to be crucified for people who hated me has new resonance, because that's, that's what God did, because that's the end of the metaphor. God sends his boy to die a horrible death and bear his wrath for people who were his enemies. Ephesians 2 tells us that we were by nature children of wrath. Romans 5 says, for if, we were, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? We were God's enemies. You went on the fence. <laughs> you were God's enemies, and he sent his boy to die for us, to bring us home and adopt us into his family. If we think that the cross is only a legal transaction, Christ paying the... Because we use this language, Christ paid the price for my sin. It's true. But if it's only that, then we miss the horror of it. It's horrific. Uh, the word um, excruciating, meaning in a great deal of pain, comes from, it literally means from the cross, out of the cross. That word didn't exist before crucifixion was around. Um, if we think of it only as a legal transaction, we miss a lot of what's saying. Not only was God's wrath poured out, not only was God's wrath, wrath being the righteous justice for your sin and mine, not only was it poured out on someone who didn't deserve it, the only person in history, but the wrath of God was that was due to me was poured out on his own son. I can't get my head around that, thinking about me and Des. I can't fathom that at all. It's horrific. It's terrible. And it was done on my behalf. I, I, am the, I am the beneficiary of it. It was done on your behalf. Question to consider number two. There are only three. How often do you consider the lengths that God went to to bring us to our side, to his side rather? How often do you consider the lengths that God went to to bring you to his side? Because the cost was large, insurmountable, and emotionally wrenching. Father and son had always, I have no concept of eternity. I barely have a concept of time. That's why I have to leave early. Um, 
but from eternity past, father and son had enjoyed unbroken fellowship. And on the cross, God not only turns his face away, he turns his face away and punishes him. I can't get my head around that. Um, the cost is emotionally wrenching, and what response is an appropriate one? I think abject praise and thanks. So, in rounding off, one final question. What exactly does God and Son's family recycling business do? If you saw that on a van, what would you think? <laughs> Nutter. Um, well, those who are sons of God have access to the Father. So if you're a son of God and you're in the business, you have access to the Father. And not just the access, the right. And not just the right, the joy. And not just the joy, the command to do so. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Twice there in one verse. Rejoice in the Lord. It's a command. So when we can approach the throne of grace, and we don't do it groveling on all fours, begging for forgiveness. No. The forgiveness required to approach God has already been attained. And it stands. Because Jesus is in the presence of God, and he sat down at the right hand of God. In the Old Testament, when priests would do sacrifices, they would go in, they would do the sacrifice, and they would come out. They would never sit down. They would never rest because you stand in the presence of God. Christ has sat. It is done. It is perpetual. It, can always, it always covers your sin. The f- forgiveness required has already been done, but if you do sin, you should repent. I'm not saying don't repent. If you do sin, you should repent, but not in order that God will love you. You should repent because how much of how much he loves you. Because he loves you on account of how much he loves Jesus, which is a lot. But rather, we should repent of the things that harm our relationship with God. Throw them off. Turn back. Turn turn your back on them and run the race, as Hebrew 12 says. No. So when we approach the throne of grace, we can do so with confidence, as these scriptures tell us. Confidence. Let us then with confidence draw near the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Next. Therefore, brothers... Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. And finally, Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. We have confidence. So, sons of God approach the throne of grace with confidence. As God's sons, we can approach it with confidence. We get to enjoy him. We get to enjoy his blessing, his love, his favor. But it's not just cuddles with daddy. That's great. But it's not just, it's not just enjoying those things. There's work to be done. Great commission. God is in the business of recycling, turning children of darkness into children of light. Um, Because there are only those two categories. You're a son of someone. You're a a son of God or a son of the devil, says Jesus. You can't be neutral. You can't opt out. You can't defer your vote into a later time. You, You are working as a son for a father. My question is, which father? If you know that you're a son of God, then you're a son of God. If you're not sure, investigate. God's mindset is to make as many sons as possible his own. So as God's sons, we run the family business. What you, you and your workplace, being a son of God, that is in the, that's the process of running the family business. If God has called you to um, do a particular ministry, you fill in the blanks. If God has called you to do that, that is you in the recycling business, recycling old people into new people. Oh, goodness. Not recycling old people. No. <laughs> oh, it was all going so well. Ten lines left. No. Turning people of the flesh to people of the spirit. There we go. <laughs> Thank you. So, 
as sons, our role is to make more sons, to extend the family. And you think, but I will have fewer toys. No, God's infinite. He has more toys than you can need, to use the metaphor. We can do this by, we do this by being the kingdom. By, this could be service. This could be preaching. This could be praying for the sick. This could be listening to the hurting. Being patient with people that nobody has time for. Loving the unlovable. Insert your ministry here. Um, but unlike most businesses, this isn't performance-based. Uh, there's a bit in Proverbs which says that a righteous man falls down five times and gets up six. So if you try and fail, great. You tried. It's much better to try and fail than it is to not try at all. And the parable of the talents. Here's a lot of money. Here's three years' wages. What will you do with it? I'll bury it in the ground. Yeah, that's safe. What if somebody digs a house there? No. Do something with it. Remember, God is pleased with us because he is our father, not because of anything we've done. But from that place of security in, is in their sonship, God's family makes it a priority to make his family bigger. That's what the family of God does. Romans 8 verse 19 says that the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Eager longing. The world is awaiting us. And that's, that's a big challenge. The world's out there waiting for you. Go. So, consider this question as we close. Do you know you're a son of God? If not, you need to address that. And I'd love to pray for you in a moment. If so, excellent. Don't forget it when things aren't rosy. And pray like stink for God to bring your heart, to break your heart, for some, to bring someone else into his family. Because that's what we're about. We're about bringing other people into the family. Because it's a good family. It's got a good dad. Let's pray. Father, we thank you we get to call you that. Thank you that we can approach you as daddy, as dad. That we are loved, not because of our performance, but because of how much you love Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you did everything necessary to bring us into your family. Lord, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for being with us. Lord, I pray that you would, that you would meet with us as we, as we continue to be your family. Break our hearts, Lord, for someone to bring into your family. And give us the resources and the help and the words to help do so. Amen.